not quite that Pentecost. All the music can go down now. That'd be great. <laughs> We're going to do a new series. Four weeks I'm going to be looking at. And uh, as you can see there, it's the parable. Small story, big idea. I feel really excited by this. If you've got a Bible, I'd love it if you could turn to Luke 6. I think that stories are fascinating things. Let's be honest, a lot of people, they get together and they talk about what was the film, what was the last film you watched, what did you grab the hold of. I think that facts inform, but stories move. So I think so often you get hold of some facts and that can be information, but actually if you really want to move people, you tell them a story. Nicky's uncle worked for Amnesty International, he's quite high up in that for some time. And uh, he would say the danger is you can give out all the facts and people don't really, they can't grasp, you know, a million people displaced in Darfur, for example. But actually, if you tell one story of how it's affected this family, suddenly people connect. Someone once said, if you tell me it's an essay, if you show me, it's a story. I think that's true, isn't it? There's this whole thing of people love being caught up on stories. Another person said this, the destiny of the world is determined less by the battles that are lost and won and more by the stories it loves and believes in. So actually, we get motivated and stirred by stories that we believe in. Another person said this, storytelling is the most powerful way to put ideas into the world today. And we're going to be looking at four stories, not four today. I'm going to do four weeks on four different stories that Jesus said. But the first one we're going to look at is this one in Luke 6. And it's literally three verses, verse 46 to 49, Luke 6. It says in my Bible, build your house on the rock. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been built, it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Now, I'm going to get you to show your age right now. How many know the kids song from Sunday school? The wise man built his house upon the rock, didn't he? And and, and come on, if you're really honest, you can know you could do the actions as well, couldn't you? And the rain came down and the floods came up. The rain came down and the floods came up. And the house stood firm, didn't it? The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The danger is that for so many of us, we would have known this story and thought, oh, it's a nice kid's story. And what I want to challenge us this morning is I believe that dynamite comes in small packages. And I believe that this story of Jesus is actually explosive if we would stop and look at it and really consider it. Jesus, we believe you told this. We don't believe it's a myth. We don't think of it as some legend. We believe it as a story from the Son of God. I pray that we won't sort of write it off as just a, a kid's Sunday school song. I pray that you'd speak to us this morning. This small story, what is the big idea that you have for us? Amen. Leon Morris, the commentator, when I was reading on this this morning, said that this story is an impressive reminder of the importance of acting upon the teaching of Jesus. This story is recorded twice in the Bible. It's recorded in Matthew 7 and here in Luke 6. 
And some of you that are Bible scholars will say, oh, I know what that is. Matthew 7 is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was teaching. And some would say Luke 6 is the end of the Sermon on the Plain. Basically, he'd spent this time teaching radical thoughts, and at both ends of the sermon, he brings about this. Joel Green, another commentator, describes this story, this short, small story, as the capstone of his closing remarks. There's a slight difference, but I think only slight difference. Matthew really uses it to challenge where you build, and Luke, I believe, is challenging us how we build. I want to look at the story of Luke. I believe it's in two halves. There's two men, but there's one pattern. And the one pattern I feel is this. Here, build, storm. These are the three words that I would look at this parable in. Here, build, storm. What do we hear? We all need to spend time listening to Jesus. I mean, I, I think, you know, literally, we, we can assume this here. It says, who comes to me and hears my words. I tell you, the, the wonderful thing about Jesus Christ is he's alive. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're not singing about some dead God. You know, we haven't come to some set of bones. He's alive. He speaks. You know what I'm saying? We have a tongue and interpretation. I believe he's speaking. I believe somebody prays out. I believe he's speaking. I believe Abby's prepared. I believe he's speaking. I believe this is his word. He's speaking. I want to encourage us. Are we listening to what he says to us? Where do you find that you hear from God? Now, I know we've got several visitors here this morning, so this is a takeaway for free. But if you're here at the Redeemer, I'd encourage you. I think we often hear from God on a Sunday morning. We don't just come and sort of entertain ourselves with a few singing and a few thoughts. And I tell you, the way you can get the best out of a preacher is this. Lean forward. If you lean forward, he gets excited. If you go amen, he'll get more excited. Do you know what I'm saying? Amen! Some of us think, oh, we can't quite do that. Maybe, come on, Anos, you can lead us from the back. <laughs> I've often said this. People taking notes. People looking interested. You know what I'm saying? I think, I want to... So Edward preached last week. He said it was a bit nerving because I sat there with my notebook. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't writing a shopping list. I was genuinely thinking, I want to hear what God is going to say to me. I want us to come ready to hear what God is going to say. I want us to be those that expect. This parable, this short story that we're looking at this week is aimed at Christians. Why do I say that? Because he starts off, those who call me Lord, Lord. Yeah, that's what he says. So he's aimed at his disciples. Lord, Lord was a term of respect. It was saying, actually, we admit that you are owed allegiance. In fact, they said it twice. It's, it's like double strength. It's like extra concentrated. You know what I'm saying? They're not just saying, oh, Lord, you know, it's Lord, Lord. There was this sense of he is worthy of our praise. You see, the crowd had been eager to come and hear Jesus. And so on the back of that, he says, hey, I love the fact you want to come and hear. Now, what are you going to go and do about it? In some respects, you know, he was, he was challenging them. And this is true of all of us, isn't it? Do we just hear or do we do? I've spent two days, in fact, I was with uh, Nikki and Dan and Susan, and we were at the Willow Creek Leadership Summit. Uh, we went to the one based at St. Albans, and we watched these, I think it's 10 DVDs, hard work, isn't it, for two days. But the biggest challenge, if we're really honest, is what am I going to do about it? Do I just walk away from a conference and think, oh, that was really good? Or do I think, man, that could change me? I would challenge you. 
we, we, Josh mentioned earlier, you know, HTB Leadership Conference. I think, why not go? You could have two days, but actually that, the fruit of that could change your life. I know Bill Hybels is coming. I know Steve Furnick is coming. I know Patrick DeConey will be there. I know that, you know, Bill, um, Nicky Gumbel will be hosting. I know there'll be others. I think a two-day investment. I'd love to think people from this church will go to the Leadership Summit next year. So it could be two days in May, two days. There you go. I've spent four days of your annual leave next year. No one's a Saturday. It's only three. But suddenly you're thinking, hey, I could invest in that, but I could take that away. I could apply it. I could be different. Surely that's the whole thing, isn't it? Okay, I've admitted before that I come from Baptist background. Now, I sometimes think the challenge is, not do we get the food, but do we actually work it out? I saw a picture, uh, I think it was last week, I was going to try and find it, and I thought this wouldn't be a particularly nice image to stick up, of, of the fattest man in England. He was managing to take on 20,000 calories a day. I mean, he said he felt terrible and he got his life all out of control. And I mean, I, I couldn't see if it was a sofa or if it was a bed. You couldn't see what he was lying on. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, they don't wear clothes, but you don't see anything because these things just flopping all over the place. You know what I'm saying? It's quite discreet, but quite ungainly. He said, oh, it's been terrible. He said, oh, I just, you know, I can't remember. Was it 50 or 80 stone he was up to? I mean, he's a big boy. You see, what had happened is he'd taken all this on, but he'd never exercised. And he just kept consuming, but actually he couldn't burn it off. Now, I want to ask a question. Have I got any obese Christians sat here today? That actually, spiritually, you're laying there, you think, whoa, And Jesus is saying, are you working it off? Are you going to apply these words of mine, or are you just going to listen to them? And do you think, oh, spiritually, my thighs are rubbing together. I need to do something about that. Oh, no, I'll just sit down and watch a bit more God TV, you know what I Spiritually, I've got a few granny arms, you know what I'm saying? But let's not worry about that. Or are we saying, come on, we've got to work this out? I think Jesus is saying, come and do. Matthew Henry in his commentary says, it's insulting. It is insulting to call him Lord, Lord, if you do not conform to his will. And I think our danger could be almost as Christians, and I'm talking to Christians here this morning, oh, we've heard it, are we doing it? At the end of Luke you'd be aware that when they crucify him, they put a sign over his head. The king of the Jews. So they said what some would say was truth, but they just killed him. I think, have we ever slipped into that? It's almost like, there's the facts about him, but it doesn't impact the way I treat him. J.C. Ryle, who was another preacher, said this, it is a sin to have profession without practice. So if you understand who Jesus is, but you're not living your life, if you're not being different, then he would say that is sin. Throughout the Bible, I believe that God puts the challenge down. Will you be doers of the word, not just hearers? Ezekiel 33, it says this, And they came to you as people came, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths, they act. Their heart is set on their gain. This was a prophet that was speaking to the people that are in in exile in Babylon. And he kept declaring basically the same word, God is holy, listen and behave. There you go. If you wanted to hold Ezekiel, you've got it in one sentence. God is holy, listen and behave. But it's not just an Old Testament thing. We know, don't we, that James, he was the brother of Jesus. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He says in James 1.22, 
but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. You see, in, in the Baptist church, when I was a kid, we had this saying, the longest journey in the world is from the head to the heart. And so the danger is that we could be those that hear, we could be those that know, but do we be those that love and do we be those that live? Do we say, you know, I've sat through church and I've heard this sermon and I know Pete's going to do another series and I, I quite enjoy Come Dine With Me. Or You know what I'm saying? I've got it here. Am I living it? I believe that Nike nicked their logo off Jesus Christ. Jesus was the first one who said, just do it, didn't he? That surely is what, what this whole thing is about. Some of you would have heard of a guy called Mark Driscoll, who leads a church in Seattle. He's quite a blunt kind of guy. I quite find him helpful when it comes to counseling. He says there's three steps to counseling. If you're wondering what Redeemer thinks about counseling, here's my three steps. What's your problem? Number one. What has God said? Number two. What are you going to do about it? Number three. There you go. Counseling done. We covered that in the morning. Now, some would say, that's a bit harsh, that's a bit black and white, and I am being a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But I sometimes think there's that, actually, what is our problem? Let's be honest. What's the Bible said about it, and are we going to do it? Jesus said, don't deceive yourself, just being hearers. I would say that you've never understood it unless you've applied it. We're not called to be theorists. I would say obedience is the only sound evidence of saving faith. And our danger is we say, I believe, I believe, I believe. And I say, we see it. You see, I think the challenge is that we live in a society that's got caught up in psychology. Psychology tries to explain your behavior by your mind. It's almost like, how can we understand this person? Oh, golly. I mean, Josh, for goodness sake, the dad he had, no wonder he's turned out like he has. Well, you might say, oh, the film these young people's watch, it's no wonder they behave like they do. The food, I mean, the e-numbers, are you aware what they're putting in? You know, and we try and explain it. We've got a psychology. It wasn't like that in Jesus' day. Basically, they said, your actions show what you're like. And so Jesus is preaching to them and saying, let's not get caught up in some psychology. Let's not try and put it down to his neighborhood or his background. Actually, the way you act shows your heart. Jesus is aware how important his teaching is. He has come to reveal God to us. Now, I mean, I probably shouldn't have started at verse 46. If I'd have really done justice to it, we'd probably start it back at verse 39 because by summing up his, his, para, his whole sermon then, he's saying, guys, there's two groups. There's those that are blind and those that can see. There's those that are hypocrites and those that can do it. There's those that produce evil fruit and those that don't. There's those that hear without acting, those that build without foundation. What Jesus is saying is this. There are two distinct groups this morning. There's um, two totally distinct groups. Following Jesus is total transformation. That's what he's saying. Now I want to ask you a question. Are you actively following Jesus? Are you reading the Bible and seeking to put it into practice? Are you being filled with the Spirit and listening to his promptings? Because I think this is what Jesus was saying. This small story has got a massive impact, doesn't it? It impacts our yesterday, our today, and tomorrow. So, we know that both guys hear. We know that both guys build. What do I want to say about this? Building is hard work. Uh, I don't know if you've watched this program. There's a program now you can see on the telly called Extreme House Makeover USA. 
I like to slip in the USA because we can really slate it now, you know what I'm saying? If you've never seen the program, what happens is there's like three families or whatever, and they choose one family, and they say, oh, you're a particularly nice family. What we're going to do is we're going to send you on vacation. So they send them, you know, to Disneyland, and they're wearing Mickey's ears and all this kind of stuff. And whilst they're away on vacation, what they do is they come in and basically smash their whole house down. It's a big, large house on a big, large plot, but it's very poor, run down. And they smash it down, and they build this amazing place for them. And the people on holiday go, hey, this is fun, this is fun, and somebody's built me a whole brand new house. I think sometimes we can almost think, oh, house building is, is easy. It's just done over there. I'd say house building is hard work. I'll be honest, I'm not a laborer. Um, I had Tessa Miranda, well, no, I didn't actually. Tessa didn't come. Miranda came for lunch last week. I've blistered my hand on Wii. The Wii Control, just playing Miranda at the Wii Sport, blistered my hand. I'm a softie, you know what I'm saying? House building is hard work. When these guys built a house, you've got to remember, it was hot. They, they tended to build houses in the summer. But it was so hot. I mean, you, I'm, just imagine it. You know, we've got good heating today, so maybe it helps. But, you know, sometimes if I've been to a hot country, I can't even decide what color ice cream to eat. They are colors. I think there's flavors in there somewhere. You know what I'm saying? But you can think, oh, they're so hot. Oh, look. These guys were sweating. It was hard work. It was time-consuming. It was exhausting. It was stressful. It could be life-threatening. They used to have a saying, how deep do you dig foundations in that kind of climate? And the answer was down to the rock. If you're on the top of the hill, the rock could be showing. If you're at the bottom of the valley, it could be 10 feet. But actually, wherever you were, you had to dig. It was hard work. In Leviticus, it talks about the dried up riverbeds being like bronze. And they were trying to dig through this. I don't know about you. I never quite thought that Christianity was like that. I grew up in a Christian family and I had a nice sticker on my living Bible which says, Jesus is the answer to all my problems. And in the sort of 20 years since then, I've thought, man alive, I think I've had more problems from the sticker than I had before. You see, if I follow Jesus, I choose to walk away from gossip rather than stay. Oh, really? Oh, I never knew that. Oh, interesting. Oh, it's secret safe with me. Did you know? You know what I'm saying? It's so easy to get something. No, if I'm a Christian, I choose to forgive rather than get even. I choose not to hold resentment and bitterness, but to forgive. If I'm a Christian, I don't look at pornography. I think, what is this? Lust, selfishness. This is not God's gift to me. If I'm a Christian, I think, I'm not going to drink until I get drunk. If I'm a Christian, I think, I will make time to serve the church. If I'm a Christian, I think I will hold back my selfish desires that I could serve the poor. That's why I'd want to be involved in a night shelter, isn't it? I think, why? Well, surely God's made a difference. If I'm a Christian, I will budget my money each month so I could be a generous giver. You know, I, I, I want to tell you this. Being a Christian is not the easy way. I've often said, I'll say it again, Christianity is a machete for the adventurous, not a crutch for the weak. I think sometimes we can think, oh, yeah, oh, it's great, I'm a Christian. No, it's not. If you want to go on an adventure, if you want a journey, if you want to really go for it, become a Christian. Building is hard work. 
You see, if you think about it, the foolish one, the way they built is they wanted to avoid hard work, <laughs> no foundations, you know, it's like building Ikea without looking at the instructions. Not that you understand the instructions anyway, but it's important to look. And they were short-sighted because they built in the summer and they forgot the winter rains. And I think the danger is that some of us, we don't like hard work and we can be short-sighted. And what's easy today? What's convenient today? What gets me off the hook now? I'll lie now, but I'll forget that it's going to get me in trouble in a week's time. How are you building your life? How does your Monday look compared to your Sunday? Would people recognize it as the same person? Okay, so we've listened and we've built. Third point, I think, out of this little story with a big idea. And this is great news for us. Now, this is the first half. Trust me, it will get better. Both builders face storms. Both builders face storms. I like to feel one of the greatest heresies of the church is this. The safest place to be is in the will of God. Because we tend to think, if I follow the will of God, it's all going to be safe for me. But where was Paul when he was shipwrecked? Not in the will of God. (laughs) Where was Jesus when he was beaten? Not in the will of God. You see, I think we've turned it into, if I follow Jesus, it will be nice. I can honestly say this, that if you follow Jesus, you could still lose your job. You can still struggle to have a baby. You can still die young. Storms come. They can be trials, temptations, bereavements, unemployment, financial hardship, health problems. It's like this picture in here. It's like the rose, fl- the, sorry, the flood rose. The streams broke against the house. We've seen some shocking images, haven't we? I don't know if you saw this one. Up, you know, the flood. I mean, that washed away the whole thing. I tell you, we think, what must have been like to be in that kind of challenging circumstance? I don't know what kind of challenging circumstance you're in right now. And I don't want to belittle that. I'd like to stand with you. I'd like to pray with you. But what I can guarantee is this, is both builders get problems. And following Christ doesn't mean to say that our problems go away. Ezekiel, you all know what Ezekiel is about. I told you in one sentence. I'm quoting him now from chapter 13. It's a, it's a long quote. It's 30, Ezekiel 13, 10 to 16. Precisely because they have misled my people, saying peace... This is, remember, they were in exile in Babylon. Peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash, saying to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain. I mean, it's like this picture. Oh, great hailstones will fall, and a stormy wind break out. And when the winds fall, and it will... And it, will it not be said to you, where is the coating with which you smeared it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there will be a deluge of rain in my anger, and great hailstones in wrath to make it a, a full end. And I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash, bringing it down to the ground so the foundation will be laid bare. I know it can it seem a hard picture to understand, but it goes on. Thus I will spend my wrath upon the wall, and those who smeared it with whitewash... What he was saying to this is that it is tough. Don't lie to one another and just say it's fine. Because God says, tough times will come. There you go. I can promise you that. If you want to take a promise away from church today, you could take this. Tough times are going to come. It's no wonder the church is so small, isn't it? We need somebody else to preach. I think this is the story, though. 
And we can think, I'll build your house on the life of Jesus Christ and it's easy. But I think I want us to be real. I think build yourself on Jesus Christ and it's going to be tough. I would say there's four lessons. If I had to summarize the four lessons that I could bring out of this parable. Number one, everyone is a builder. That is what you do with your life. So you might say, oh, I don't feel as a builder. Whatever you're doing with your life, you're a builder. That's the way Jesus is talking. Whether you're a student studying with GCSEs, whether you're a mum at home, whether you're retired, whether you're looking for work, you are a builder. Okay, let's understand. First picture. Second, there's only two types of builder. You're either wise or you're foolish. <laughs> we don't like that, do we? We, we sort of like, I was going to say shades of grey. I better not use that illustration. <laughs> Obviously, I know nothing about it, but we don't like things being black and white anymore, do we? We like to feel there's a spectrum there. There's something sort of in between. There's a, no, 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 I'm now going shades of grey, and I shouldn't. You know, but Jesus is saying it's two. You're either wise or you're foolish. There's not this in between. So I'd like to ask you, what kind of builder are you? The wise are those that obey and listen to God. The foolish are those that go their own way. And then what can I say from this? Crisis will come to all. And we could say, oh, great story. Yeah, yeah quite, quite a good story. So basically what you're saying, Pete, is how am I building my life? Am I listening to Jesus Christ? Yes. The downside of that is those that were here, was it two weeks ago when I preached, will realize that actually everything points to Jesus. And so the danger is that when we take four nice lessons like that from a parable, we turn Christianity into morality. So basically, I send you away from here and you think, oh, Pete says that if I do this week, if I, if I, if I do what I've been told, then actually I'm a wise builder. And, and subtly, we've suddenly made out, well, this is about me doing. So what, what does this point to about Jesus in this story? What are the bigger ideas even behind the way you live? And I want to draw out four of them. The first is this, I believe that Jesus is the rock. This was a name that was given to God in the Old Testament. In Psalm 18 verse 2, it says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So actually what it's saying, this is that when life is tough, Jesus is your rock. Jesus is your rock. Jesus is God. Why? Because the picture of the Old Testament is applied to Jesus in the New Testament. It says in 1 Peter 2 verse 6, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, precious and chosen. Whoever believes in him will not be point to shame. What it's saying is God was considered the rock, and in fact that is Jesus. It's the Old Testament, it's the New Testament, it is Jesus. If you want to know about how to live your life right, don't go away thinking, I've just got to put into practice what Pete said. You've got to know Jesus is your rock. You've got to know he's the one that you stand upon. If you've read 1 Corinthians, you know that Paul is writing to the church there and saying, actually, the way that you build your life is like a house. Is it made of wood or straw or precious stones? And actually, that will be tested. Final judgment will come. But what it clearly says in, in chapter 3, verse 11, I think it is, is the foundation is what you build upon. And the foundation is Jesus Christ. And so we're saved by grace, not by what we do. Although what we do will be tested, the foundation is secure. You should go away from listening to this story thinking, I know 
that I am saved, not because of what I do, but because I build upon the rock. That's a big difference, isn't it? Because otherwise we say, listen to this, go away and do it. Hey, you're not doing it, you're foolish. I don't know about you. I mean, I know what it's like in our home. We've got Edward living with us now, there's six of us. It's very easy to look at someone else and think, that's a foolish thing to do. The wise and the foolish men, I think you're foolish. We judge people on what they're doing. I think what it's saying here is, Jesus is the rock we build upon him. If we, do, if we miss that bit, the rest of it is, is pointless. Number one. What's the second point I would bring out about Jesus from this? I believe that Jesus is saying, I'm a fulfillment of the Old Testament picture of a foundation stone. You see, what had happened is after the destruction of the temple, the Jews recorded that the ark had been stolen. It had been taken away. We know this from the early prophets. And so what did they do? When they used to go into what was considered the Holy of Holies, there was a ground, a pit of stone in the ground. They reckon it was three fingers deep. And that you could go in there, and this was almost became the Holy of Holies. And so what they would do on like the Day of Atonement, I talked about before, is when sins were dealt with, is they'd take the fire and they would place it upon this foundation stone because the ark had been taken. And so there was this picture that actually this was become the most sacred place. This is the foundation stone of where we meet with God. This is the foundation stone of where our sin is dealt with before God. And Jesus is saying in this parable, I'm that. Yet, don't just go away saying, build your life on the Lord. No, I am that foundation stone. I am the most holy place you can build on. I am the place where your sin is dealt with between you and God. I am that foundation stone. That's a bit exclusive, isn't it? Yes. I can't make it any softer than that. You know what I'm saying? I can't protect any cord and say, oh, don't worry about it. No, Jesus is saying, I am the foundation stone. Jesus says it's me. Jesus says it's me. He is our rock. He is our foundation stone. He is, thirdly, the one we must listen to. I go back to Ezekiel. Bring lots out of Ezekiel this morning. Ezekiel 33. It says, Then they will know that I am the Lord. When they've made the land a desolation and a waste because of the abominations that they've committed. As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses say to one another, Come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as a people come. And they sit before you as my people and they hear what you say. But they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act. Their heart is set on their gain. Remember, what's it all about? Holy God, listen and behave, yeah, if you don't understand it all. Behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. Basically, Ezekiel had composed a song, and it was a love song, and the people thought, oh, what a nice love song. But the love song was saying, actually, it's from God to you. And the danger is that we don't listen to Jesus. And there's so many other voices out there clamoring. And he's saying, hey, do you remember Ezekiel? He tried to sing you that love song and you never really understood it. You just thought it was a nice song. But what he was really trying to say is, listen to me. Jesus is saying, actually, I want you to listen to me. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the foundation stone. Jesus is the one to listen to. And Jesus is the one to trust. Isaiah, I'm skipping out of Ezekiel now. Isaiah. 
He says this, Therefore hear the word of the Lord in Isaiah 28. You scoffers, you who rule this people in Jerusalem, because you have said we have made a covenant with death. Death was a word basically for Egypt. If you know anything about Egyptians, they like to mummify. You know, they worship the God of death, you could say. He said, basically, you've made this covenant with Egypt. And with Sheol, we have an agreement. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it would not come to us. They were worried that they were going to be attacked. And so basically, this nation had made an alliance with Egypt. They were looking to Egypt to help them. They were saying, oh, help. Egypt will help us. Egypt. And I was like, you stupid twits. And a few other words. He said, you've looked at Egypt, and you said that's where your help will come. But it says here, behold, I am the one who's laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested zone, stone, a corner precious stone. Whoever believes will not be in haste. He's saying, you are silly. In fact, there's a whole parable between Isaiah and, and, and Luke, where each has got two homes, each has got this water and this storm coming, each has got foundation, which is critical, each are called to listen to the people of God. And what they'd done is when the Assyrians were coming, they'd made the pact with Egypt, but actually God was saying, don't rely upon them, rely upon me. Okay, so let's try and make this simple. Who are you making a pact with? Who are you relying upon in life? Who are you trusting? Skin of your teeth? Family or friends? Who is it you think, actually, this is what I'm trusting to get me through life? At the end of the day, we all know it's Wikipedia, isn't it? I mean, if we need anything nowadays, we check on the computer, don't we? In Wikipedia, I trust. No, we don't quite want to go there, but there's that whole challenge, isn't there? Who do we trust? Who do we look to? Who do we try and find help from? I believe that in this small story, Jesus is saying, hey, the big idea is I want you to apply this, but I want you to apply it. Why? Not just for what I've said, but for who I am. He's trying to say, I am your rock. I am your foundation stone. I am the one worth listening to. I am the one worth trusting. Kenneth Bailey, another book that I read uh, this week, trying to get some thoughts together, says this about this little story, this Sunday school story, yeah? this three lines in Scripture. He says this, Jesus can be seen here as making one of the most astounding affirmations of his entire ministry. He's saying, look, don't bypass this. He's saying, don't just skip over it. Oh, it's a nice story. Jesus is, is, is making an astounding claim as to who he is and why you should trust him. I've often sung that song, It Is Well With My Soul. And I guess it, it, it feels like it encapsulates what I wanted to try and communicate this morning. It says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. Look, it's going to be tough. But I, on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. His oath, his covenant, his blood supports me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found. 
dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I mean, if I wanted you to go away from this, I'd love you to think, what's the, the small story, the big idea? I think it's powerful. It's just mind-blowing, isn't it? How could you fit so much into three verses? Maybe because you're God. And maybe because you're the greatest storyteller that's ever been told. You know, and you just think, wow. And I just think, oh God, I don't just want to be one that hears. I don't want to be one that just goes away and think, oh, what, what's Pete's four, four points on who Jesus is? I think, oh God, I want to go away and be different. I want it to move from my head to my heart. What about you? What about you? I mean, that's the challenge Jesus is saying, isn't it? Are we really going to be different? With somebody at school think, oh, you don't swear, you must be different. Why is that? Well, on Christ I stand. It's not because I've learned not to think about swear words. He's my everything. Oh, but other people are dissing the boss and you don't. Why is that? He is the one that I listen to. He's the one that I build my life upon. Not because oh, I just think it's easier in life if I don't get into trouble. You know what I'm saying? I think Jesus is saying that everything we do should come out of recognizing who he is and why we build upon him. Jesus, we do want to thank you for your words. We want to thank you that you are our rock. We want to thank you that you are our foundation stone. How we want to thank you that you are the one that we listen to. You are the one that we trust. We don't want to trust anyone else but you. Even in our worship this morning, it came across so strongly. You're our number one. You're the one that we bow before. Oh, Jesus, we still ask for your help. <laughs> we still even now say, fill us with your spirit. God, I've preached it, and I can still think, oh, what will I be like tomorrow? I ask for your spirit. I ask your spirit will come upon us that we'll be doers and not just hearers. I pray that for everyone who sat here this morning. Father, pour out your spirit. In Jesus' name, I pray you receive the spirit of God. I pray you receive the spirit of God because he will point you to Jesus. He won't just turn you into some moralistic living. He'll make you devoted worshippers of Christ. Oh, Holy Spirit, we do ask, fill us. Holy Spirit, we are desperately in need of you. Now Abby and Mark are going to lead us in a song, a way of just closing, a way of fixing our eyes upon Jesus at the end. While they're getting ready, though, why don't we just, I'd, I'd encourage you to stand. Raise your hands if you're comfortable. Raise them if you don't. Come on. We want to be doers, not just hearers. Oh, Spirit of God, we pray that you'd fill us. Oh, we do. We, we don't want to be those that just listen. We want to be those that live. We don't want to be those that hear. We want to be those that do. We don't just want to be those that talk. We want to be those that walk. Lord, you know, you know our hearts cry is this week we're full on for you. Fill us with your spirit. We don't just want to become moral and, and walk away and think I've got to do, do, do. We, we want to come and say actually we build it all upon you, you, you. Spirit of God, we welcome you. We love you. Have your way amongst us.
bring glory to Jesus in us and through us this week. Amen.